All right. I am now joined by Bronco Marchetich, who is a staff writer for Jacobin. Uh, and he wrote an article that came out uh, a couple days ago uh, called Elon Musk, Free Speech Absolutist, has launched a crackdown on left-wing Twitter accounts. And this, this caught my eye because this is, this is something that always drives me crazy, that um, Elon himself likes to, I mean, has obviously talked endlessly about how much he loves free speech and why, you know, that's why he bought Twitter and uh, to, in order to restore free speech to, uh, to the platform. And a lot of his biggest fans obviously think that's what he's all about. But aggravatingly, some liberal and even leftist critics of him seem to just accept the premise. And, you know, they think he, uh, he loves free speech too much and it's dangerous. And uh, the, the point of the article is to, uh, to, to push back against it. So you want to uh, start us off a little bit with just kind of generally um, what, you know, what motivated you to write this? Sure. Uh, I, generally write a, a fair amount of stuff about free speech from the left, uh, and particularly when it comes to, to tech censorship, because I see that as quite a uh, an important arena, I guess, uh, um, uh, for these, these various battles of uh, you know, the balance of expression and uh, protecting people from really dangerous speech that, that has never really stopped being waged in the US. Um, I, I think with tech platforms, uh, collectively as a society, not just in the U S but everywhere we've, we've seemed to have sort of decided that that is just, um, you know, censoring things, uh, whether it's hate speech or misinformation or things that we, uh, define as both. We, we seem to have decided that that is appropriate. That's not a policy that we think is appropriate for any other, um, medium. But, uh, so I think, you know, it's particularly important here. And I think this particular thing is this, this particular story is really important because I think it, um, shows some of the uh or, or proves right or demonstrates for for people uh a lot of the warnings that we on the left have made about you know having these platforms and um in private hands and, and just letting billionaires control them but anyway uh to to get to the crux of the piece i mean you know it's it's absurd to to this uh self-presentation by musk that he is some sort of free speech absolutist or, or, or a champion of free speech um because liberal culture since 2016 has has uh, sharply shifted against the idea of free speech, viewing you know uh, uh, freedom of expression as as a kind of cause of the political crises that we're living through, which I think is absurd. Um, but that's a very superficial and popular reading of the time, uh, and because of that, people uh, have kind of take Musk's um, uh, self self proclaimed uh, free speech warrior status as a, as a given um, and kind of have, have framed that as the, as the real problem with what he's doing to Twitter. For me, the, the problem is, um, sure, I mean, obviously it's, it's awful that he, some of these really, really bad uh, and noxious voices are, are back in Twitter is not exactly great. It's something, you know, cause for celebration. But to me, the bigger problem is that he's, he's reinstating these accounts, but then at the same time, he appears to be, personally involved in um, censoring, uh, you know, uh, more than one left-wing account. And then, you know, at the same time, we'll post a tweet or make some sort of public spectacle that kind of casts him as, as fighting for free speech and everyone swallows it because the, the criticism is overwhelmingly, why isn't he doing more to censor? Um, so I just, um, you know, I, I, uh, 
need to need to give uh, uh, some uh, uh, shout out to to, to Steve Monacelli, um, who's a, a journalist who kind of documented or, or pointed out a lot of these accounts, leftist accounts that were being um, uh, censored. And you know, when I saw that, I thought, I mean, that you know, why is that not being talked about? Um, and hence, that's why that's how we get the the piece that I wrote. Yeah. So what what are these uh, what are the like? What are these left-wing accounts that he's been uh, he's been censoring? That like you give some examples. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, one thread that runs through all of them is the fact that they're kind of they're all in some way uh, focused on on specifically calling out or scrutinizing or whatever uh, you know whatever term you want to use uh, the far right, um, and so. Uh, the one that I, I particularly hired was this group, this collective called um, Crime Think, which is uh, mm-hmm. uh, Crime Think, but with uh, INC, like a, like a corporation. This, is a, this group dates back to the 90s, which you can definitely see in the name. Um, and, you know, uh-huh. it's nothing um, – anyone who is familiar with left-wing publishing um, – you know, or even just anarchist ideas is not going to find anything particularly surprising in, in what they put out. But um, uh, Elon Musk uh, decided apparently uh, uh, personally uh, that they were, you know, too beyond the pale. Uh, you know, I mean, at the same time that he's reinstating accounts, you know, denying COVID and, you know, all the, all the things that Trump has done and, and you know, putting putting guys who, who uh pick up artists who describe themselves as openly as misogynists as long as, as he's, he's putting all those people back, but he's decided that an anarchist collective that publishes, um, you know, tweets about what kind of riot gear you should wear to a, a protest. So you don't get um, brutalized by the police or, you know, publishes books about why uh, vandalism and breaking windows is politically effective. That, that is, that's too far for, for Musk, for his delicate sensibilities. Um, and, and, not just uh, them, you know. You had the the Elm Fork John Brown Gun Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of it's a it's a particular chapter of a of a wider decentralized kind of let's say organization. Um, basically, it's LGBTQ people who um, who arm themselves and you know consider arming themselves part of self defense against uh, uh, far right and other homophobic groups who attack. LGBTQ people who go to those, uh, you know, protests by LGBTQ people, um, and, and they try, they kind of act as security uh, or, or you know, as some sort of counterweight to to uh, these these right wing groups who who are sometimes armed and very intimidating. You also had um, uh, Vishal Singh. He's a he's a left wing journalist and documentarian. Um, also reports a lot about the far right. Uh, Chad Loder, who's a cybersecurity expert. Um, uh, similarly has gone after right-wing extremists and kind of exposed them, uh, also happened to have, uh, alleged that there was a massive data breach at Twitter, um, that the, I think the day of his suspension. So that's Mm -hmm. interesting. Um, so, and, and there's a few others, but those were kind of the main, uh, ones. And yeah, like I said, the thread running through them is that they're all, um, they all kind of antagonize these various far right uh, groups and, and activists online and, and, and in real life. Yeah. Uh, and in, in at least one of the cases, you know, that you mentioned in the, uh, in the article, uh, well, actually I think in the crime thing case, uh, it, it seems like, you know, they'd actually, even though, um, 
you know, you mentioned that they had just got an email from Twitter saying there was a complaint lodged against them, but then they, you know, it had been investigated and they'd been cleared. Uh, but it, it's judging by the timing, at least, it seems like the immediate provocation for um, for banning crime think uh, was that Andy No told told Musk to do it in a Twitter exchange. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, there, there's a Twitter exchange, and Crime Think actually in their um, uh, statement on this, they actually did link on it. It's still up; you can you can see it. It's also linked in my uh, piece as well. Um, first, Musk uh, replied to this guy Paul Ray Ramsey, who is this kind of white supremacist uh, uh, YouTube influencer, I guess, right wing influencer. Um, who spoke at a conference with uh, with Richard Spencer, and you know, uh, I guess is well known for um, you know, quote unquote, celebrating Trayvon Martin Day. I mean, this is a kind of you know, Jesus, whole person we're talking about. Yeah, and and so he said, this guy, this poor Ray Ramsey guy, said something around uh, along the lines of, you know, Twitter's nuking all those pedo accounts and uh, and pedophile accounts, and then uh, Musk replied. Again, I mean, this, he wasn't tagged in it or anything. Um, so this is just Elon Musk in the course of his day while he's running Twitter, um, uh, uh, apparently just uh, either follows this guy or follows someone who follows him. And this tweet came to his attention. And he, just, and he thought, I have to reply to this. Uh, and he sort of encouraged him, that, you know, again, this poor A. Ramsey guy, this, this, this racist uh, influencer, to uh, report any other accounts that he thinks need to be uh, uh, gotten rid of. And then Andy No, who people might know is kind of, he has a bit of a long-standing vendetta against Antifa, mm-hmm. um, kind of known for, for some misleading uh, reporting, uh, the, the kind of uh, attempts to, to, to pin various acts of violence on, on Antifa. Um, he chimes in and he's, you know, he, he was the one who posted Crime Think, um, Crime Think's various uh, uh, transgressions, including, you know, the riot, gear that they were uh, advising people to wear protests or, you know, pictures of them talking about, you know, uh, on tweets, abolishing the police or, uh, you know, dismantling the, the kind of punitive U.S. immigration security structure and, and the vandalism book. And, you know, he's, he basically tells Musk this group is training people or, or, or providing advice for how to commit violence. And so they need to be gotten rid of. And then lo and behold, you know, a few hours later, uh, as you say, despite the fact that they had, according to them, received a message from Twitter telling them that, that uh, they'd been reported in Germany, but they found nothing that, that uh, warranted them getting uh, pulled off the, the platform, they get suspended. Um, and so I think the significance of that is, you know, uh, Number one, I mean, <laughs> I think it gives you a little bit of a um, keyhole into into Elon Musk's mind and uh, behavior and, and mm-hmm. what he does with his day. But but beyond that, um, I think uh, it's worrying that Musk has apparently so gone down this kind of rabbit hole of, of Twitter fuel derangement that he's been on, um, and is now in such a enveloped in such a, a, a right wing bubble that he's created for himself that apparently he is crowdsourcing, you know, his decisions around what to censor and what not to censor and who to reinstate and who not to, uh, on the word of you know these various noxious uh, far right voices that that he uh, he surrounded his his Twitter feed with. Yeah, and 
what you said about crowdsourcing is is really a worth a thread that's worth picking up here since like the whole idea that Elon Musk is is a free speech champion uh that uh that he he bought Twitter you know as benevolently you know to protect free speech um is you know based on this idea that I think it is correct you know that uh, that Twitter you know, should be should be understood as a as as a neutral platform. Uh, Musk himself has called it a digital town square, um, and and that so it, it is reasonable to have have you know, and it's desirable to have uh, pretty permissive free speech norms on there. But like in a lot of his behavior lately, it seems like he's just made it more and more obvious that he's not actually treated it as the digital town square. He's, he's treated it as, as uh, his sort of personal digital sandbox, you know, that uh, like the, the most obvious examples beyond the ones you just mentioned are, uh, you know, reinstating Trump or, you know, reinstating Trump's account, at least uh, Trump himself, which I have to admit is kind of a Chad move is, uh, is not actually, is not actually, is not actually coming back on. Uh, but, um, but like that decision um, and a couple of others, he literally just had Twitter polls of the people who happened to, uh, to follow him. Uh, and uh, which, uh, which just like really underlies how, how capricious, you know, he's, he's being about this stuff. And then with Alex Jones, who, you know, whatever, I mean, I think you, I think there's like an argument to be made that, you know, that, that that's um, uh, like we could, you know, there's a substantive argument to be had about whether the ban was justified, but, uh, but with Alex Jones, uh, when, when he was like people he followed and replied to were like, no, you should, you should reinstate Alex Jones too. He started talking about his experience with his his child who you know who died as an infant and uh and he like quoted some line from the Bible about suffer not the you know those who you know harm little children or something like that I don't remember exactly, which is just like which just feels like it couldn't make it more obvious that it's just like no, this is the stuff that happens to really bother me, so that's the line. Right. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's worth pointing out not all of these bans, um, at least uh, that we know for sure, are, are being completely driven by Musk. I mean, some of it at least is that the the right has decided to um, game the the pre existing censorship system that existed at Twitter to to just mass report, do fraudulent reports about various accounts, you know, doing you know violating Twitter rules in, in whatever way, and so. That's that's part of it, but um, you know, as the Andy No example that, that with Crime Think shows, as um, just various reporting from some of the behind the scenes uh, discussions at Twitter um, uh, that that we've uh, learnt about, uh, as they suggest, it does seem like Musk is taking more of a um, active role in in terms of deciding, you know, what is being censored and what isn't, um, which I'm sure. Previous Twitter executives probably would have, to some extent. Um, it doesn't seem like. It seems like this is a this is Musk's real focus. I mean, yeah, you have to remember this. You know, the the big motivation for him to um, to buy Twitter in the first place was to <laughs> absurdly to reinstate the Babylon B. Um, this is this is the reason why he wanted to to uh, take over Twitter. So it does make sense that he has. Um, that he would make himself uh, uh, more of a, 
leading figure in terms of deciding what, what goes in and what doesn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, again, it, it shows that all of this is just being driven completely by the, not some sort of, um, whether you agree with it or not, some sort of standardized set of rules where that are predictable and stable and where you as a user can go, okay, well, as long as I don't say this or as long as I don't, I don't know, cite this or link to this, what have you, I know that I can keep my account and I can, you know, do the usual stuff that I come into Twitter to do. Uh, instead of that, which would be maybe not ideal for everyone, but at least uh, it will be something. Um, this is completely just based on we, – we, to, to know what we can and can't post on Twitter right now, we have to somehow peer into the mind of this deeply strange man who has bought it and, and try and figure out what his personal red lines are um, and, and what aren't and then basically cater our content or our posting, whatever you want to call it, to, to that. And that is an absolutely – absurd situation to be in i want to go to the callers of which we have a couple uh let's start with left is best hey guys um i missed i guess i missed the main show now and i was curious um what were some of the examples of them banning uh, uh twitter banning leftist accounts um so I, I missed that part and and certainly um I, on top of that, real quickly, um, if I could just say, I personally feel like um, Twitter has been more uh, uh, more open, you know, because I have a um, <clears throat> a different point of view on Ukraine, and I like seeing you know different points of view on on the conflict in Ukraine uh, getting out there. As as someone who's anti imperialist, um, I think it's good to have you know, oppo opposing views, not just, you know, lapdogs for the, the weapon industry, you know, spouting off, you know, um, uh, like justifications for, for conflict. So <clears throat> that's uh, really quickly what I was asking. Yeah. So, so there was no main show, but earlier in this, in this show, uh, we talked about a couple of them. One of the main ones is this sort of anarchist um, publisher called, uh, called, called crime thing, but is there anything else? In there that you wanted to address, Branka? I mean, I guess the the thing I didn't mention uh, this happened before Musk, uh, but I mean it, it's a it's a very good example of the way that these rules um, were kind of broken well before he came in, and and also just about the kind of dangers of of a, a censorship regime that is just too broad and, and heavy handed. Um, there was this uh, a group called Distributed Denial of Secrets, um, and they. Pub, uh, last year, I believe, uh, published, if not last year, then 2020, they published um, what became known as uh, Blue Leaks. It was this massive um, tranche of leaks that um, uh, uh, just revealed a variety of misconduct and scandalous behavior by U.S. police, um, you know, people, uh, p police spying on people that they shouldn't have been spying, bending the rules to be able to surveil activists and so on and so forth. Uh, there's a lot of different stories that came out of it. You know, very important, um, obviously, in the public interest, uh, the classic case of whistleblowing, you know, regardless of however they got it, I don't know, I don't really care as a journalist. The main thing is they, they got all this, I think, important information and the press published it. Uh, but Twitter last year, because because of the the 2016 fallout, 
Twitter had changed their rules to uh, a ban. Uh, you know, I, I can't remember the exact term they use, but basically, you know, unauthorized disclosures and hacked materials, um, which is just a recipe for uh, censoring uh, uh, any kind of uh, journalism. Good journalism, yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. Uh, and so, and 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 to silence whistleblowing as well, potentially. Um, because I mean, what is unauthorized, you know, material? I mean, it doesn't you have to hack something for to reveal unauthorized uh, or material in an unauthorized way? You could just reveal it um, to the public, and that that is considered unauthorized. Anyway, um, they were banned last year, uh, and you know, while Trump, uh, uh, sorry, Musk is is running around, uh, you know, asking his favorite you know, fringe far-right uh, followers and, and people he follows to tell him who to reinstate on the right, uh, this group, and, you know, Michael Lee of The Intercept is the one who, who pointed this out um, shortly before this happened, uh, the DDoS, the Distributed Denial of Secrets, they're still banned from Twitter. Um, so, you know, I mean, he the guy has said uh, we have to make Twitter this, this public town square where you're going to, here, points of view that you disagree with and may not like, but that's all part of the discourse. Hey, you know what? I completely dis- I completely agree with that. I I, I I think that's that's true, but he's not doing it. Um, what he's doing is he's just uh, uh, letting his policy of, of reinstatement and censorship just be just be shaped exclusively, apparently, by by the right wing voices that he surrounded himself on Twitter. Um, so I think that's another. Uh, it, it predates Elon Musk. But I think it's an important example, and it's one that I think, again, speaks to um, his particular kind of fixations and obsessions in the way that they are driving uh, what what we see and what we don't. Um, in terms of the, the, the Ukraine stuff and, and Twitter being more open, uh, to me, my despite all the chaos going on at Twitter uh, behind the scenes, my feed has been exactly the same. I cannot honestly say that there's been any any real difference aside from that initial spate of um you know fake accounts that were pretending to be official accounts because of the musk's uh changing of the rules around uh, uh check marks uh aside from that by you know and i'm now a little more careful about um you know if i if i just uh, take at face value if someone has a has a check mark next to their name. But beyond that, no, my Twitter feel is exactly the same. I mean, uh, if if you think it's gotten more open, I'll have to take your word for it. Um, uh, I I haven't really seen a seen a difference either way, uh, including you know. I mean, I know that there was uh, an explosion of of hate speech, but like a lot of these you know internet um, uh, uh, platforms if you don't really go looking for it you're not necessarily going to find that stuff and I have not the only time I've seen kind of an explosion of, of you know bigotry and people using all sorts of terrible slurs is ironically when people you know on my feed or who I follow end up retweeting it kind of weirdly amplifying the stuff that I would never have seen otherwise um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that would be my kind of comment on that, but you know, if you think it's, uh, if you think Twitter's, the Twitter experience has improved for you, um, you know, I can't, I can't argue with that. I guess that that's your, yeah, I mean, just to, just to underline that, I mean, since, I mean, you are somebody who writes and tweets a lot about, uh, Ukraine, 
uh, from an anti-interventionist perspective, and you follow a lot of people who, who who do. I mean, obviously, it's all anecdotal either way, but I mean, like, I, I would take that seriously as at least, um, you know, that, like, it doesn't seem like in any obvious way there was a bunch of, you know, the the level of like what's permissible on Twitter as far as that has has obviously changed. But uh but uh Collar, do you wanna do you wanna come back in and, and say any last thing about that? <clears throat> yeah, no, it's like you said, like a lot of a lot of uh, our observations I guess can be considered anecdotal, but and I wasn't really a huge um Twitter user prior to, to Elon's, you know, uh transition. It just seems it just seems to me because like I have an employee a po- uh, a divergent view on 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 Ukraine that it's it's um it's kind of um uh nice to see opposing, you know, points of view because a lot of it seems skewed towards the the US narrative and and for example, there was, you know, a videos videos um of Ukrainian soldiers killing POWs that you would never you would never see that like on mainstream media Facebook or any of the main corporate social outlets, but but at least you know people can see a different point of view. And so when when someone says you know there's no good actors in you know in war, you know a lot of a lot of war crimes are committed on both sides. It helps that people can see like oh you know there is there is you know a conflicting point of view, right? And so sure, but do but do you think never, that that, that was. Been. Never do you think that that, that kind of that kind, Do you think that that was censored on on Twitter specifically a couple of months ago? Because I have to say, I mean, I feel like I've, I've certainly seen people express you know very strong anti-interventionist points of view, I, and even some weirdos who express pro-Putin points of view, like pretty continuously throughout the conflict on Twitter. Yeah, there's. I just I just feel there's a lot of anti uh anti you know imperialist anti war um act uh activists who have their you know divergent points of view sure but they did before Elon took over the platform because I'm sorry sure but that was that was also true before Elon took over the platform. Yeah and so I feel like it's it's lessened right like the the you know with all a lot of accounts coming back online People are feeling more emboldened to speak, you know, their their opinion. Sure, when it comes but just to, just just one last one last thought though is there one last question though? Like, are there specific cases that you know of of people whose accounts were taken out because of something they posted about Ukraine who were reinstated? <clears throat> I haven't I haven't seen um uh like like the accounts exactly that were banned. I just know that that. From my from my feed and the people that I follow, um, it just seems more open. The dialogue seems more open. You know, it's not all just you know one sided. And if you're if you go against that side, you know, it's considered hate speech. It, it feels like you know that you can call out you know your opinion if it's you know has to do with like you feel like there's NAZIs in Ukraine or if you feel like there's crimes being committed on both sides. You're more free to <clears throat> to um, Okay. To express, you know, to post things uh, in that nature online. So, I, like I said, like it, it is, it is kind of yeah. anecdotal. You know, it's from my point of view, and, and it all for whatever be- it's for for whatever it's worth. I have, you know, Elon only very recently took over the platform, and I've been seeing the kind of material you're describing continuously since the war started. So, if if there are cases 
where that was censored before and it's not now. I'm, I'm certainly open to being corrected on this, but uh, but just just to the best of my knowledge, I don't think that's true. But uh, let's um, um, and if you if you can if you can sort of come up with specific examples, feel free to call in in the future and 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 correct me on that. But uh, Bronco, I saw you unmuted yourself. Did you want to say something else before we went to the next call? Sure. Uh, yeah, I actually forgot to bring this up. I did see just before we went on to the call that uh, uh, Dean Baker of CEPR, the uh, Center for Economic and Policy Research, uh, which is kind of like a left-leaning think tank, um, maybe best known for uh, uh, when the Bolivian coup happened, they were very aggressively pushing back against, you know, they did like an analysis of the vote count. They said, no, this is this, this claim that there was um, voter fraud uh, or election fraud here is completely baseless. Uh, anyway, he got suspended today. He has been reinstated. Um, but, it, you know, it's, it's I, I don't know exactly what the details are. I don't think anyone does. But that's another account, another kind of left-wing account that has been uh, censored um, uh, uh, since Musk came on, even as he is reinstating aggressively a bunch of, of right-wing accounts. Anyway, I'm sorry, uh, Scott. Hey, uh, uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, Bronco, big fan of your work, so it's it's really great to be able to, to speak with you. Um, <clears throat> I, I know, Ben, I made fun of people being hyperbolic yesterday, but I, <laughs> I kind of have to be. Okay, um, go for it. It, it seems to me that that Elon Musk is kind of the Trump of Silicon Valley. Like he's a, he's a vastly overrated grifter who you know is is seen you know after after The Apprentice, Trump was seen as this great businessman, and Musk is now exposing himself as kind of a you know a. Uh, you know, just just not not as as genius level as he kind of his reputation was. Um, and I don't know if you guys saw, but the I don't remember which account it was the GOP um, that was like Kanye, Elon, Trump, but they have actually deleted that tweet after all of Kanye's recent uh outbursts so i thought that that was pretty amusing um but the this elon's takeover has kind of exposed the fragility of the the platform that there once a force comes in that is going to come in with an agenda that there is a risk of voices being silenced and being uh, purged from the the quote unquote town square um and i s wonder you know there there have been attempts to um highlight other platforms like mastodon and some of the other ones but they seem very insufficient in being an alternative um and I, I really think until until Black Twitter finds an alternative and is able to move somewhere else that that things are going to, you know, Twitter is going to remain the premier platform for for most things. Um, but I was just wondering and, and uh, I know the other the other caller mentioned, you know, the. Um, 
the the war crimes being exposed in Ukraine and some of the things. And I remember seeing things like, um, I think it was Syria that was uh, committing war crimes against the Kurdish people after we withdrew. And so there is kind of a U.S. centric focus as it is on pretty much all platforms, really. Um, and we've we've been seeing that with how Elon has been dealing with things. Um, but I wonder what you guys I was trying to figure out a question, but just wonder what you guys think will be the result if there is a more if if the purging widens to uh, include a wider range of left-wing opinions and and uh, personalities, and if there will be or what what that means for organize, <clears throat> organizing for getting information out because i I've tried to to think about you know I've tried to avoid twitter as as um, you know, things have, have been going on with Musk, but there really aren't any alternatives for, you know, wide ranging, you know, getting, getting notices from journalists and for, you know, my own, my own niche interests that have their own, you know, communities. Um, so I was just wondering your guys' thoughts on that. I think there's probably two schools of thought. Uh, I think one school of thought would be if Twitter dies, um, that that would actually be good because um, you know so many of the uh, most unhelpful trends in behavior on the left um, these past few years have I don't think they, they necessarily originate with Twitter but are definitely fueled and driven by kind of you know the dynamics of social media and the dynamics of of Twitter which of course is is you know specifically designed in a way to um, to to elicit some of the the worst human instincts that, that we have. Um, and so maybe that would actually be good for organizing. Um, you know, that, that would be one, one school of thought. Uh, uh, another school of thought is that, you know, uh, Twitter has for all its flaws has been kind of a meritocratic, uh, platform. Um, it's, it's unlike what Trump was, uh, <laughs> keep calling him Trump. Unlike uh, the speaks to your uh, point, I think, Scott, um, uh, unlike what Musk was uh, planning, which was to basically charge people money so that their posts are seen and, and boosted and all this other kind of stuff, you know, Twitter was a environment where even someone like me um, who works for a tiny socialist publication that probably few people have heard of, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, um, I I had uh, slash have a a platform a, a you know a microphone or whatever um, that is not not the same volume um, and prominence of of you know cable news hosts and, and New York Times reporters and so on and so forth. But um, every now and then, you know, something that you you write will break through and will be seen by people that, that would never have seen your work before and would never have heard of you. Um, and that I think has been good for the left. Uh, you know, uh, so th those are the two things that we lose. You know, I mean, I think the, the, the better thing would be for me as a journalist, Twitter is a very useful resource. There, there are things, uh, I come across on there that I would not 
otherwise uh, have seen. It's also a huge waste of time sometimes because there's definitely a, a time of the day where Twitter stops being useful and it's just people, you know, posting nonsense. Um, and so, uh, but it is useful and it's useful having everyone on there. And so if, if things get decentralized, I think you do kind of lose one of the, the main advantages of Twitter, which is that everyone's there. And that, this is, that, that is where, for better or worse, the entire conversation is happening. Um, and instead what you end up with, if, if things kind of break apart, everyone goes into their own particular social media um, uh, platforms. Um, you might get rid of some of the, some of the worst elements of Twitter perhaps. Um, and, and don't get me wrong. There's many of those. Um, you just have to look at the <clears throat> state of discourse around nuclear war uh, on Twitter, which is uniquely deranged on that platform. Um, but you you do lose uh, uh, the ability to, to sort of be able to speak to to people from a wide variety of backgrounds and, and kind of be able to have more influence than you otherwise would. And that, that would be sad, um, I, I think. Um, and also it may not even solve the issue of, uh, of, of censorship of the left because all that means is now, um, depending on – there will just be many different servers, many different uh, platforms. Um, which will all have their own, you know, tech overlords or rule makers who will have their own Musk-like personal uh, opinions about what's acceptable and what isn't that you'll have to, to navigate. And as just one example, Mastodon, I mentioned it in this, in, in this piece, Mastodon, which is uh, kind of one of the the leading Twitter alternatives where you get to create your own server um and, and, you know, set the rules for it so it's not a tech overlord, it's you. However, nonetheless, in this one uh, left-wing server, they uh, suspended Code Pink, the moderator did, because they said, well, you know, we got reports that Code Pink is, is you know, associated with some unsavory individuals and they're kind of controversial, so we don't want to have them on there. So, I, you know, I don't know if it, all, all that might happen if, if this is the way we go down is that the problems with Twitter that we experience now just kind of um, j just – happen but on a on a much larger scale and you know on, on multiple platforms where, where everyone's complaining about being censored by capricious um you know moderators and stuff so yeah i, don't, I hope, hope that's uh, answered your question yeah i think that some of the more social justice ambassador servers uh sort of um from what i hear sound like kind of a parody of of a censorious social media platform that you know you have to put trigger warnings on for everything and etc. Uh, but I believe we have a caller in uh, I don't know maybe Oklahoma or one of those states. <laughs> hey y'all, uh, it's, it's Dave. Um, oh no, are you still there, David? What, what's on your mind? Well, I mean, I've just been following this this rail strike both really closely, and you know, as y'all have been on the uh, amendment for the seven uh, paid. Okay, you were cut off for a second. But you were saying the amendment for the seven paid sick leaves. Sick days, sick days. failed in the Senate. Um, I'm sorry. Okay. Well, while, while David is having technical difficulties, I'll just I'll just say uh, that um, you know we'll we'll I'm sure do an episode entirely about this very soon. Well, uh, sadly, David seems to be having uh, tech issues, uh, but uh, since he did bring that up, is uh, is is there any is there any comment you want to make about that, Bronco? Uh, 
no, I mean, yeah, it's it's super disappointing. Um, I mean, I wrote this piece yesterday that that um, kind of I'd, I'd pre-written it the the or parts of it the day before, and then uh, you know it went out, and uh, unfortunately it went up. I did not realize that a whole bunch of the progressives had had, had voted um, for the the deal. Um, Rashid Tlaib accepted. Otherwise, I would have uh, added that in. So I kind of, you know, I, I regret um, making the piece a little, a little more laudatory than, than perhaps it should have been. Um, that would be my only, <laughs> my only comment. Yeah, uh, that's that's very fair. Um, well, uh, we couldn't have David because of the uh, the tech issues, but uh, the I, I did see that another Southern leftist uh, called in. Uh, well. Uh, Oh, just just as David was starting to do that, so uh, maybe that'll be the next best thing, Strom. Hey, hey, loud and clear. Um, yeah, I just wanted to mention something a little bit off topic as well. Um, did you see that Jackson Hankel post Kanye saying that Hitler's cool, that he loves Hitler, is praising him on Twitter right now? So we have someone who calls himself a Marxist and is one of the most popular leftist social media figures walking around praising people who openly identify themselves with Nazism. I hate that I say a little bit histrionic about this, but I think we actual leftists have to get ahead of this pretty quickly because the MAGA people, the neocons and everything will capitalize on this to conflate us with Nazism and fascism. I don't know. I just wanted to know if everybody saw that, and uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't see that. Is, isn't Jackson Hinkle the uh, the MAGA communism guy? Is that that's that's him, right? Yeah. Am I thinking of someone else? That's him. That's him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, you know, the the right is of course going to try and you know, call the left Nazis. That's that's been their playbook for uh, the last eighty years. Um, but I mean, I know a guy who. Uh, who, who calls himself a MAGA communist, identifies himself with Trump, um, when I think uh, the, the the general impression of most people who, even people who aren't very politically uh, engaged, they, they do think that, you know, that they know that if there's one thing they know, they know the left hates Trump. I don't know if if that's going to, I mean, to me, it seems like it's going to blow back more on, on uh, Trump Oh, the Trumpist movement. But I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, of, of course, I do think, yeah, we should, like, condemn that. I think this is a, an attempt at, like, some kind of strange Republican edition of Browderism. But I don't know. I mean, if Trump actually comes out in favor of expansion of social welfare programs and he and Hawley and all these people uh, actually – agitate to the left of AOC and Cory Bush and all of the sellouts on this uh, strike uh, matter. I don't know. This could be well, dangerous. I mean, look, well, what I would just say, three, I think it's important that only three Republicans voted to, to add the seven-day paid sick leave. Yeah. I mean, in the, the House. The Republican Party. In the House, yeah. I mean, we'll see. Well, I mean, it sounds like they failed in the Senate as well, though, right? So, I mean, the uh, to me, every time any anything like this goes to a vote, it is just this perennial, this, this constant reminder that, oh, yeah, the Republican Party is nowhere near becoming an actual party of the working class or, or, or workers. Yeah, I would, I would worry about Trump or the MAGA people in, in Congress um, 
coming out with like left wing uh, policy positions on economic issues. Uh, I mean, again, they all actually. All right, I didn't even realize it was three. I thought that it was zero. Uh, but um, uh, House Republicans have voted for for paid sick leave. But certainly, I know most of the naggiest people. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I remember checking a couple of them specifically. People I thought might. And like, you know, Matt Gates voted no on sick, sick days. Marjorie Taylor Greene voted no on sick days. Uh, all of these people earlier this year uh, voted against a Democratic proposal to uh, cap the price of insulin at like $30 a month. Now, even that was too much for them. Uh, Josh Howley voted against that. Um, you know, Donald Trump, of course, his entire administration was a four-year orgy of uh, deregulation, union busted, and tax cuts for rich people. I mean, like some of these people, to a certain extent, rhetorically, um, like to to sort of say, "Oh, we're the party of the working class now," etc. But uh, there, there's never there's never any substance to it at all. I mean, there's the uh, like uh, Marco Rubio literally earlier this year made a big fanfare about how he's going to do a big pro worker law, and it turned out to be a proposal to legalize company unions. Um, so, like, it's it called the T Max. Um, so, so that, you know, there are things that I worry about. That's not one of them. I mean, I think as far as, as, as Jackson Hinkle, uh, I do think he's a very marginal figure. I mean, I know he sort of has a big, uh, Twitter following stuff now in part because, uh, I think Tucker Carlson plucked him out of his extremely well-deserved obscurity, uh, to, uh, to have him on, uh, on Fox news. Cause he was this like, fun novelty right you know here's here's this like ultra left guy calls himself a communist but uh but he'll also say he likes donald trump but i do tend to agree with bronco that the um if there's one thing that people know about the the left it's that they don't like trump so i mean somebody who's like oh i'm a leftist who loves donald trump saying something i don't think most people would would see that as reflective of the left as a whole i mean on kanye himself i'll just say um i mean i've i've never quite sure about the level at which people pay attention to that. I mean, I, I understand Kanye is, is, uh, incredibly famous. And so it's obviously a little bit different, but, uh, it, it seems to me like somebody who's having a breakdown and sort of, uh, rants incoherent conspiratorial gibberish should, should largely be ignored. Although obviously when, uh, Trump himself, you know, uh, meets with him, uh, has has dinner with him, etc. Makes it a little bit harder to do so. Uh, I do want to say too. Uh, so David Griscom, uh, when he was calling in earlier, I was having technical difficulties, and so he didn't get his question out. But he texted me that the question he wanted to ask was, uh, well, here I'll just read it. To uh, it says all I wanted to ask was whether or not y'all accept the AOC argument that she basically did what the unions asked. I saw that earlier that AOC's defense on Twitter of the yes vote on imposing the deal itself was that this is, uh, that this is the strategy that the rail unions um, asked them to, to adopt that the, uh, I, which she didn't really go into detail about how that works, you know, but she said that there were too many Republican uh, votes to, to just tank the deal. Uh, so that, uh, that, you know, there were too many Republican yes votes to just take the deal. And presumably, I mean, she didn't exactly spell this out, but maybe the idea was that like they have, uh, maybe that like the, the 
like mainstream Democrats would like accept the sick leave amendment if they voted for the thing itself. I don't know if that's what she was trying to say or not, but uh, that's her that's her defense. And I'll just let you weigh in on that. Well, I'll just say that um, uh, from what I have heard, um, as in, you know, um, the the word in the in the, in the Jackman office because we have had people talk to to, to people who are involved in this. Um, it, it that was their preferred strategy, I think, um, or at least it was among union leaders. Now, whether that was the strategy preferred by the the rank and file, that's a completely different question. But it was the one that was uh, preferred by by union leaders. So she she's not making stuff up. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it was the right strategy. I mean, I think. I think if it has, uh, if the the seven day amendment has not cleared the Senate, but then the uh, the the larger uh, you know deal does um, that that basically uh, preempts a strike and and forces this um, agreement down workers' throats. Um, I mean that's that's not a good thing, and that does strike me as kind of um, I, I don't think it you know the worst uh, most uncharitable. Opinion that oh this you know oh the classic squad they just did this so they could uh, you know you know, sheepdog people into Democrats blah 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 I don't I don't think it's it's you know I don't believe first of all that they're capable of something that um, that orchestrated uh, that finally orchestrated but it, you know it definitely would um, be it would not exactly reflect well on the squad if they even inadvertently end up kind of pushing through this deal without being able to. Um, to at least get the, the seven day sick leave uh, stuff in there. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, my my view on this is that uh, the unions asked us to defense. Um, I don't really find persuasive because, after all, the union leadership endorsed the original deal that was voted down by the membership, um, and and also, you know, what you say about you know the. I mean, look, they ended up voting for the bad thing that happened and the amendment to make it less bad uh, looks like it's going to fail anyway. Uh, but more uh, more importantly, I I think ultimately the reason I find that unpersuasive is that I think that the sort of, um, as important as it is, I, I actually don't think the immediate impact on the rail workers is the most important part of this. I mean, it's obviously an obscenity that these people don't get sick days, they can't spend time with their families, you know, that's grotesque. But um, but I think there's a much larger issue here, which is like, do we want to send the message that as soon as the working class starts to like actually, um, you know, actually use the most potent weapon at its disposal, the, the sort of collective ability to, to stop the, the gears of the, the economy from turning, uh, as soon as it starts to do that at a sufficiently wide scale, that that would actually cause real disruption. That that's the point where we're saying, nope, sorry, uh, you know, like that's that's this is too important. You can't oh, do well, it. The, the strike is going to cause some sort of uh, bad ripple effects. Oh well, then we can't have striking. Best to best to all that. Yeah, exactly. So I I I'm, I'd be much. I I think that the uh, I. I think that I think that Rashida Talib uh, made the right call on that, but uh, it is about four, and uh, we do want to. Uh, I do want to. I do want to wrap this up. I'm just going to take one more caller. I know there are several people who were uh, who are in the queue. Please please call in next time. But uh, 
but silver was calling at the end of, of the last episode. And I told him, uh, that I would take him if he called in today, so I don't want to skip him again. Uh, so let's just quickly take Silver, and then let's uh, let's call it a wrap for today. Hello. Hello. Uh, yeah. Here. Yep. <clears throat> going to ask the same thing I was going to ask yesterday, actually, uh, although it's slightly modified because of the technical difficulties with Gris- Griscom, which was uh, <clears throat> I think it would relieve those difficulties if you were maybe live or something. And I was wondering if you could maybe arrange that soon. If, sorry, I, I'm not sure I understand the question. <clears throat> it seems like uh, those technical difficulties you had with Griscom. Oh, oh! Uh, if, if I was if I was talking about a problem, about, uh, if you were, <clears throat> if, if we were talking, it would be less of a problem if the show were say live. And I was wondering if maybe you might do that soon. Okay, all right. Just for you, on January 22nd at the Cutting Room in New York, I will uh, talk to David live. Also, uh, also Jason Miles uh, and Matt Leck and Emma Vigland and Sam Cedar and Bhaskar Sankara. Um, probably, probably also Deep State Cuba uh, and uh, a couple, you know, and, and the, the GTA crew. And other people just uh, M Tucson just just yeah. So I, I I think that's a good request. I've I've thought about it in the last two seconds and uh, and decided that we'll do that on January twenty second at the Cutting Room uh, in New York and uh, and I'll uh, and and man I must have already had this idea and forgotten about it because the Ticketmaster link is already up uh, so people can buy tickets to that. So uh, in any case, um, good call. All right. Uh, Bronco, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, everybody should check out his, uh, his, his article. Uh, where you said, uh, on jacobin.com, J-A-C-W-I-N.com. And I believe it's yeah. in the, uh, description of the, uh, this, this little event here as well. Yes, it is. The link is indeed in the description. You can also go to jacobin.com, check out that article, check out the rest of Bronco's articles. He's very prolific. He's always